Thank you for listening to the Crossridge Podcast. Today's message is by Senior Pastor Mark Farnell. For more information about Crossridge Church, visit our social medias or go to our website at crclife.org. We hope you enjoy the message. The psalmist said, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. I thank God for His faithfulness to us. I thank God for His grace for us. I thank God for His love of us. I thank God for His patience with us. I thank God for His Spirit in us. I thank God for His Word before us. I thank God for His people around us. I thank God for our church family. Yesterday, we celebrated our 16th anniversary of ministry here on the Ridge. Yes, yes. It is our 156th year anniversary of ministry here in Little Elm. God has blessed us. God has encouraged us. God has grown us. God has led us. God has met our needs. God has ministered to us. God has ministered through us. God has stretched us. God has tested us. And God has used us in amazing ways during the past 16 years of ministry here on the ridge. God has done immeasurably more above and beyond all that we can ask, think, or imagine according to his power at work in us. To God be the glory for the great things he has done. To God be the glory for the great things he is doing. To God be the glory for the great things he is yet to do. I thank God that in his sovereign supernatural plan, he included all of us in his ministry plan for this, his church. Whether you've been here all 16 years, longer than 16 years, or much shorter than 16 years, God has brought you here on purpose to be a part of his work in and through our midst to this community and beyond. I thank God that we have the joy and privilege to say, go, God, go a lot around here. And I thank God that he's not close to being finished with us yet. Father God, we thank you and we stop to say thank you for all you have done in our lives, in our families, in our church family, in our ministries. God, we thank you for what you are doing and we thank you in advance, God, for what you are yet to do. We rejoice as we celebrate your power at work in us, through us, for us, and around us and the ministries that you called us to do. And Father, we ask that you would continue to be glorified as you give us the power, as you give us the wisdom, as you give us the desire to follow after you, God. We pray that we would be pleasing to you. And God, that your work would go forth, your gospel would be shared with those close to us and far from us. God, we look forward to all you have for us. And that begins right here, right now, as we dive into your word. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to uh, Titus chapter 1, the New Testament book of Titus chapter 1. God is growing us in our faith in Jesus. He's making us more like Jesus. He's also making us into more effective witnesses for Jesus through our study of this New Testament book of Titus. Paul uh, wrote to Titus in chapter 1 of verse 5, and he said, the reason I left you in Crete was so that you could set right what was left undone, and as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. 
Paul shared with Titus God's leadership plan for his local church. Paul left Titus in Crete to lead and organize the churches throughout Crete. Titus was supposed to appoint elders in every town. He was to appoint, designate, select godly qualified, spiritually mature men in the churches in Crete to lead the churches in Crete. Paul gave Titus a list of godly qualifications that an elder pastor overseer must meet in order to be considered as an elder. This list of godly qualifications for an elder, for a pastor, is also a fantastic list of qualities for all of us as followers of Jesus. We would all do well to possess and express these qualities that we're going to continue looking at this morning. And so we know the first quality, the first qualification for an elder is an elder must have godly character. In verse 6, Paul said an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness and rebellion. An elder must be blameless. God emphasized godly character and integrity at the start of this list of qualifications and throughout this list of qualifications. Godly character and integrity is the base from which all these other godly qualifications that we're going to talk about spring. Godly character and integrity is so important. Paul talked about it. He emphasized it in verse 6 and verse 7. In verse 6, he said an elder must be blameless. In verse 7, he said as an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless. Blameless means above reproach, means unaccused. It means cannot be called into account or questioned. Blameless means the elder pastor overseers, godly character and integrity is consistent in public, private, at home, at church, at work, and in town. Now, as we shared a couple of weeks back, blameless does not mean an elder is perfect. Blameless does not mean an elder is above temptation. Blameless does not mean an elder doesn't need help living God's way. We all know that we all, as Christ followers, elder, pastor, overseers, every one of us needs help, God's help to live God's way, and we need one another's help to live God's way. The first qualification an elder must have godly character. The second qualification is an elder must have godly commitments. In verse 6, let's stay there. We're not finished with verse 6. An elder must be blameless. The husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness and rebellion. An elder's first commitment is to God. An elder's second commitment is to his family. The way an elder, pastor, overseer loves and leads his family gives the church a picture of how that elder will love and lead the church family. The first and best test of an elder's blamelessness, of his godly character and integrity is in his very own home. Because apart from God... No one knows an elder or pastor better than those in his own home, his wife, and his kids. And so if you really want to know about an elder or pastor, check out the elder or pastor's wife and children. 
And so we see an elder needs to have godly commitments. He must have godly commitments. First, he's, Paul says to Titus, an elder must be the husband of one wife. In the original language, that literally means an elder must be a one-woman man. And so clearly, obviously, from the start, that eliminates polygamy, which was practiced in Paul's day. An elder must be the husband of one wife. He must be a one-woman man. That means an elder, a pastor, overseer must be committed to his wife, must be devoted to his wife, must be faithful to his wife, must be in love with his wife. An elder, pastor, overseer must not desire, flirt with, lust after, or pursue an intimate relationship with any other woman other than his wife. An elder pastor must be morally pure, free of fornication, free of lust, sexual morality, and adultery. An elder pastor overseer must maintain a disciplined and pure thought life because impure thoughts lead to impure actions. And Jesus told us, in many different areas in the Gospels, that impure thoughts and actions are both wrong. And so marital unfaithfulness disqualifies an elder pastor from leadership in the local church. If and when marital unfaithfulness is discovered, it disqualifies that elder from leadership in the local church. This qualification has application for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. God wants all of us as followers of Jesus Christ to have godly character. God wants all of us as followers of Jesus Christ to have godly commitments. God wants us to be committed to him and to our families. God wants all of us to be morally pure. God wants all of us to be free from fornication, lust, sexual morality, and adultery. God wants husbands to be devoted to their wives, and God wants wives to be devoted to their husbands. So we see specific in view, elder pastor, general in view of application, all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. But Paul didn't stop there. He said, the husband of one wife with children who are not accused of wildness and rebellion. So an elder pastor overseer must be committed to his wife and his children. His commitment to the Lord and them encourages their commitment to the Lord and him. An elder's commitment to the Lord and them, his wife and kids, encourages them, his wife and kids, and their commitment to the Lord and him. And so Paul here with Titus, he also shared with Timothy about this, and we'll look there for just a moment in a minute. Paul shared here that an elder, as it relates to his children, we know that an elder's children, Paul told Titus, they're to be faithful. Faithful means a couple of different things. There's a couple of different applications here. Faithful means obedient, means trustworthy, it means well-behaved. This is true for the children of elders and pastors at all times. They're to be faithful, obedient, well-behaved, trustworthy, but this is especially true when those elders' children are not old enough to understand the good news of the gospel and their need for salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus. 
We know that Paul also mentioned this to Timothy. If you turn to your left, just real quickly, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, uh, chapter uh, 3, rather, in verse 4, uh, Paul told Timothy, an elder, he must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. So in view here is all the time with his children, but certainly when his children are not yet of the age where they understand the good news of the gospel and, and are able to respond to the Holy Spirit's work in their life. But we also know an elder's children are to be faithful. That means believers. The second application, that means believers, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What Paul was telling Titus is when an elder's children are old enough to understand the good news of the gospel, when they are old enough to understand their sin, how it separates them from God and their need for the Savior, and when they're old enough to understand that Jesus is their Savior, the hope and prayer is those elders, their children, will respond to the Holy Spirit of God, his leadership in their lives, and they will respond by placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a result of the grace of God at work in their lives. Paul's point to Titus when he's looking at elders, and he's looking to, uh, to appoint elders, pastors, overseers. He's wanting Titus to understand if an elder or pastor cannot teach his own children the truth of God's word, if he cannot shepherd his own children to salvation, and if he cannot make disciples of his own children, then chances are very great, very high, that he will struggle fulfilling those biblical responsibilities within his church family. He'll struggle. And so we again look and focus in on the home. As Paul continued and he told uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 uh, in verse 5, he said, uh, if anyone, if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? If he can't manage his own house, how's he going to take care of God's church? And so we know a pastor, elder, overseer, will depend on God to give him the desire, the power, and the wisdom to love his wife as Christ loved the church and to raise his children in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let me repeat that. A pastor, elder, overseer, as Titus was to look for those spiritually mature men, to appoint them to leadership in the local churches, he would look at the home life of those men. And an elder, pastor, overseer, he will depend on God. He will fall on his face before God on a day-by-day -day basis, asking, begging God to give him the power, the wisdom, the strength, the understanding, the desire, so that he can love his wife as Christ loved the church, so he can raise his children in the training and instruction of the Lord, so he can fulfill God's biblical responsibilities for him. You see, as an elder, pastor, overseer walks by the Spirit, he will display the fruit of the Spirit first and foremost in his home. And the same is true for all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. God wants us to be committed to him, and he wants us to be committed to our families. And as we walk by the Spirit day by day, we will display the fruit of the Spirit first and foremost in our own homes. And then we'll expand out into all the different responsibilities, our workplaces, the church, our friendships, which is exactly what God wants. God wants 
his sons and daughters, to be committed to him, to be committed to their families, but then to walk by the Spirit so that when they go into their place of work, when they go into their place of business, when they interact with their employees, when they interact with their employer, when they're going about all those meetings, that they display the fruit of the Spirit, not just at home, not just at church, but in the workplace, in those meetings, on the road, wherever their job or career may take them, because that's the way that God allows that witness in our lives to shine out through our lives in all the different places that he allows us to represent him as his kids. First and foremost, Paul was telling Titus, Titus, listen, when, when we're, we're talking about appointing elders, I've given you that commission. You're to appoint elders in every town. Now here is a list. This is going to help you. Uh, this is what you need to look for. These are some things you need to look at. And Titus, what you need to do first and foremost is when you're looking to appoint elders, uh, look in the home. Observe those men. Observe how they treat their wives. Observe how they treat their kids. Watch. Because that will give you an idea. It will give you a pretty good picture of how they will lead in the church. So you want to make sure that you're given proper time to make those observations. An elder must have godly character, must have godly commitments. But then we see as we move forward, an elder must have godly conduct. Another must also have godly conduct. We continue in verse 7, Titus chapter 1, verse 7. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, <clears throat> not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money. An elder, pastor, overseer, follow me now, oversees God's household. An elder pastor overseers, under shepherds to the great shepherd, King Jesus. An elder pastor overseer oversees God's household. Therefore, what Paul's telling Titus is if an elder pastor overseer loves, leads, and manages his own household well, the elder pastor overseer more than likely will love, lead, and manage God's household well. And so Paul here, once again with Titus, he says, as an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless. An overseer, Paul now shifts in referring, he was talking about elders, now he's talking, using the word overseer for that oversight uh, application. An overseer must be blameless. Again, st still talking about, elder pastor overseer talks about the same leadership position in the local church. An overseer must be blameless. That means an overseer, he reemphasizes the first point. An overseer must have godly character and integrity. An overseer must be above reproach. An overseer must have a good reputation at home, at church, and in the town, in the community. He must have a good reputation. And now, as we continue making our way through verses 7 and 8 here uh, today and probably next Sunday, we really get a great picture. Paul gives Titus and us a snapshot. We finally get a snapshot as to what blameless looks like in action. What does blameless look like on the street level? This is what Paul's telling Titus. He's saying in Overseer, he must be blameless, and then he starts to share. 
what that actually looks like in action. And notice in verse 7, and you can peek at verse 8. You won't get fined. It's okay if you want to look and peek at verse 8. Verse 7 and verse 8, what's going to happen is this. This is where we're going. Paul shared five negative qualities to avoid. Then Paul shared six positive qualities to possess. An elder is to avoid these five negative qualities, and an elder is to possess these six positive qualities. If you want to know what blameless looks like in action, you want to know what blameless looks like on street level, you'll see that blameless looks like not the first five things, it looks like the second six things in action. And so let's, let's start this amazing study. Let's look at these. these. This is good. This is good stuff. Godly conduct. He's talking about godly conduct here. First, an elder, an overseer rather, must not be arrogant. An overseer must not be arrogant. Arrogant here in the original language means to delight in self, to please self. Arrogant means self-centered, self-focused, self-willed. An arrogant person cares about themselves, not others. An arrogant person wants their will done by everyone all the time. An arrogant person is a dictator, not a team player. An arrogant person is demanding, stubborn, proud, and uncaring. As you can tell, an arrogant person isn't much fun to be around. You're not going to want to go spend lunch or dinner with arrogant people. An arrogant person talks and talks and talks. And today, Paul didn't include this, but I'm confident he would have had he been around and writing today. An arrogant person also posts and posts and posts about themselves. They're their biggest fan. They love posting and telling others about them and what they do and who they are and how they do it. They love it. They love it. An overseer must not be arrogant. Makes sense. Totally makes sense. An overseer must be humble. An overseer must be a caring, loving, selfless, humble leader. An overseer must think of others, not just themselves. An overseer knows God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. An overseer knows pride comes before destruction. An overseer knows that when we humble ourselves for the Lord, he will lift us up in due time by the righteous right hand that he possesses. And his due time is the right time because it's his time, not our time. An elder knows we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but we're to think of ourselves in accordance with the sound judgment, sober judgment from God and the truth of his word. An elder knows that we're not to look at our own interests only, but we're to look to the interests of others. An elder knows in humility we're to consider others more important than ourselves. An elder knows that we're to serve others in love. An elder knows that we're to use the gifts that God has given us to bring glory and honor to his name, not our name. And in so doing, we display the very grace of God. Another knows this. 
An elder is a whole lot more interested in talking about King Jesus than he is himself. He's a whole lot more interested in talking about others and finding out what's going on with others instead of spouting off what's going on with himself and all that he's doing, all that he has done. You see, Paul's getting specific now. He's got to. The gospel is at stake. Lives are at stake. Eternity is at stake. He has to. He has to get specific. He's talking about being blameless, and now he's going to get specific. He says, hey, you can't be arrogant. Can't be arrogant. And the truth of the matter is, I'm sure you understand this as well as I do, man, arrogance jumps out. You can spot arrogance a mile away. Because it precedes the arrogant one. You can spot it. And so therefore, we know for all of us as followers of Christ, this is certainly out of bounds for an elder pastor overseer, but we also know it's out of bounds for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. God doesn't want us to be proud or arrogant in a boastful kind of manner. He wants us to be humble. Second, he says, not just there, he says, an overseer must not be hot-tempered. Hello. Now we're starting to make some tracks here. Overseer must not be hot-tempered. Hot-tempered means easily angered. It means prone to anger and rage. It means short-tempered. It means to have a short fuse. It means to uh, be a hothead. A hot-tempered person is argumentative and combative. A hot-tempered person always seems to be on the verge of an outburst, a blow-up, or a conflict with someone. If you know folks who are hot-tempered, you know this. Hot-tempered person, you almost have to kind of like walk around like you're on eggshells. Because if you happen to say something wrong, do something wrong, if you happen to breathe wrong, it can lead to a blow up. Now, it's important to understand that Paul here is not talking about occasional anger. He's certainly not talking about righteous anger because righteous anger is something that we should all possess. We should all be angry of these things that are righteous in nature, meaning uh, injustice and when others, the innocent, are hurt. Those, that's all biblically based as well. So he's not talking about uh, an occasional uh, anger or, or righteous anger. What he's talking about here is a continual pattern of unrighteous anger, rage, and angry outbursts. It's a lifestyle. It's a continual pattern at home, at church, away from home. It's family, around others. It's a continual pattern. An overseer must not be hot-tempered. I love what Solomon said about this. Solomon talked about this in Proverbs chapter 22. Listen to what Solomon said. In Proverbs chapter 22, in verses 24 and 25, do not make friends with an angry person and don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one. Listen to what he said. Don't make friends with an angry person. Don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. The point is clear. An elder overseer, an overseer must not be hot-tempered. An overseer must be long-tempered. An overseer must be long-suffering, patient, and self-controlled. 
As James wrote to us in James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. An overseer is to be quick to listen, quick to listen to others, quick to listen to correction, quick to listen to rebuke, quick to listen to encouragement, quick to listen to others. They're to be slow to speak and slow to become angry. You see, when we are quick to listen, we're not speaking and we're a lot less likely to get angry. Speaking before listening helps to increase anger. Listening before speaking helps to decrease anger. So an overseer needs to be a good listener, which when you start to think about it, it kind of goes hand in hand. An overseer is to be humble, not arrogant. If an overseer is arrogant, they're not really concerned about listening to others. They want to tell others all about themselves. So an overseer must be uh, humble, not arrogant. And if they're humble, then an overseer more than likely is going to be a good listener and be able to listen to others. And so we see how important this is. An overseer displays the fruit of the Spirit by the way they love others, by the way they are patient with others, and by the way they are kind to others. And that love and that patience and that kindness comes from the Holy Spirit his power at work in them. And so we see that also Holy Spirit quality of self-control allows that overseer to respond in those ways. It's true for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ as well. It's true for us as fathers, as mothers, husbands and wives, employers, employees, brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever the case may be, whatever the context, God doesn't want us to be hot-tempered. He wants us to be long-tempered. He wants us not to be impatient, but patient, caring for others, being able to listen to others. So again, Paul's telling Titus, Titus, as you go to these churches, you're going to look for men in these churches, and you're going to look to appoint and designate and select some of these men to lead in the church. So you got to look in their home, and as you're looking at them, they, they need to be a good character and integrity. They need to be above reproach. And now he's given us some more specifics. They need to be humble. They don't need to be arrogant. Don't select a man who's arrogant. Don't select I mean, he's hot-tempered because as it relates to local church ministry, if an elder is hot-tempered, he's going to be flying off the handle a lot because there's all kinds of different circumstances and challenges and ups and downs that not only the overseer has to deal with his own life, but as he shepherds God's people and all those folks are going through all kinds of challenges. Many of you coming in this morning, all kinds of challenges, difficulties, struggles. We all have them, every one of us. And so he's being real careful with what he's sharing. Third, an elder, an overseer, must not be an excessive drinker. An overseer must not be an excessive drinker. Excessive drinker here literally means he must not be addicted to wine or any other alcoholic beverage. An overseer must not be a drunkard. An overseer must not drink too much wine or alcohol. Excessive drinker in the original language means it describes someone who's always around the bottle of alcohol. They're always around it. They're dependent. They're addicted to it. A person who drinks too much, says things, does things, and acts ways that they wouldn't if they were sober. 
A person who drinks too much alcohol, a person who's an excessive drinker, says things, does things, and acts ways, they will regret when they are sober. A person who drinks too much, a person who is an excessive drinker, a person who drinks too much alcohol, oftentimes is arrogant, demanding, stubborn, prideful, hot-tempered, and angry. And so Paul is wanting Titus to understand you can't miss on these. You can't miss on these. These are important. What's interesting is what Paul's telling Titus is an overseer must not be an excessive drinker. An overseer must be wise when it comes to the issue of alcohol. Paul did not tell Titus an overseer, pastor, elder, must not drink alcohol, period. He didn't say that. He said an overseer must not be an excessive drinker. It means an overseer must not get drunk. An overseer must not be addicted to wine or any other alcoholic beverage. Why? Well, because of the context of Scripture, an overseer must be careful so that by his actions, so that by his decisions and choices, in particular and specific here with this example as it relates to alcohol, he must be careful with his choices and decisions about alcohol so that he doesn't cause another brother or sister in Christ to stumble in their faith in Jesus. And he must be careful by his actions, in particular, this alcohol is in view here. He must be careful by his decisions and choices in regards to alcohol that he doesn't keep someone from placing their faith in Jesus. So he, he must be wise as he makes those decisions as it relates to alcohol. He just needs to be wise. He needs to be wise as it relates within his own home, with his own kids, his own family. He needs to be wise as it relates to his church family. And it needs, he needs to be wise as it relates to those who God may want to become a part of the church family at some point. Now, Paul talked about this as well to the believers at the church in Ephesus. And Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, uh, which causes and leads to debauchery, dissipation, reckless living. Instead, be filled by the Spirit. And so just so we know and we're clear, the reason for this admonition, we know drunkenness is a sin, which leads to reckless unwise living. Drunkenness is out of bounds. There is no biblical support that anyone could ever make that drunkenness is okay. It's a sin. It is a sin and it leads to reckless unwise living. In the context of what Paul is sharing with Titus, drunkenness ruins an overseer's witness in his own home. Drunkenness ruins an overseer's witness outside of his home. Drunkenness keeps an overseer from loving and leading God's people.
people God's way. Because you see, an overseer never knows when the phone's going to ring. Overseer never knows when the need's going to come. And when the phone rings and when the needs arise, they got to be ready to go. And they can't be compromised. Many people today try to use alcohol as an escape from their problems, from their pain, from their struggles, from their circumstances, only to discover their problems, pain, struggles, and circumstances are still around when they get sober. God wants overseers, pastors, and elders, and God wants each one of us to run to him and to rely on him when we're dealing with our problems, pain, struggles, or difficult, unwanted circumstances. He doesn't want us to turn to that medication. He doesn't want us to try to turn to the bottle. Instead, he wants us to run to him and to rely on him because he and he alone is able to help us in and through those painful times, those problems, those struggles, and those unwanted, difficult circumstances. And so as we look at the context of the word, we understand the truth of God's word along with the dangers that are associated with alcohol and obviously the extreme use and consumption of it, as well as pain from the past can all work together to lead an elder overseer pastor, or any follower of Jesus Christ to make the commitment, to make the decision, to have the conviction that they will abstain from the consumption of alcohol. And for those overseers and followers of Jesus Christ who make that commitment to abstain from alcohol, that's between them and the Lord, and that is a great decision if that's the decision they come to with the Lord. What the scriptures here, what Paul is making clear to Titus is an overseer must not be an excessive drinker. Be wise. Be wise when it comes to this area. Titus, look for men who are wise as it relates to this area. And that's a great word of instruction and encouragement for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. So what is our application? What is our takeaway this morning? What does God want us to take away? How do, how do we put these points into action in our lives, this godly uh, character and these godly commitments and this godly conduct? And we'll continue making our way through uh, the next couple of uh, negative qualities, and then we'll push through the six positive qualities to possess next Sunday. What does God want us to take away? How do we apply this truth in our lives today? I think it's simple. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. As Paul said in Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not 
carry out the desire of the flesh. As we surrender ourselves to God each day, as we seek God first, as we rely on God, as we run to him and rely on him each day, every step of our way, God, he will empower us to live and to love and to lead his way. We know that when we walk by the Spirit, we are filled by the Spirit. When we walk by the Spirit, we're not filled by anything else, any other foreign substance. When we walk by the Spirit, we are filled by the Spirit. That means we are filled by the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us to be who God's called us to be and to do all the things that God's called us to do. Those things that we know that God's going to call us to do and then those out-of-the-box things that God allows to come into our lives on the spur of the moment When we're walking by the Spirit, we're filled by the Spirit, and we're able to do all that God calls us to do on a day-by-day basis. Now, walking by the Spirit means many different things. Let me just share uh, four things that it means for us as it relates to this passage. Four different things that it means to us. Number one, walking by the Spirit means confessing our sins to God. When we turn away from God and sin against God, God convicts us by a Spirit in us because He wants us to confess our sins because He wants to renew that relationship, that fellowship we have with Him. So if you have come this morning and as a follower of Jesus Christ, you've turned away from God and sinned against God, there's an area of your life that It's outside of God's desire for your life. We know that walking by the Spirit begins, first step, confess your sin to God. He is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Second, walking by the Spirit means forsaking our sin. We're not not just focused on confessing our sin. We're going to forsake it. That means we're going to turn from it. After we confess it, we receive God's forgiveness, we turn away from it so that we don't just keep going right back to that same sin and asking forgiveness all the time. We try to forsake that sin, turn away from that sin, leave that circumstance, leave that, whatever the case, whatever the sin may be, leave, forsake it. Third, walking by the Spirit means obeying God's word by God's power in us, not our power. We're not going to be able to obey God's word in our power. I know at times it's, it's, we get, uh, we're, we're tempted to confess our sin and we're to forsake our sin and we say, man, God, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to live for you. I promise, God, if you get me out of this jam, I'm going to live for you today. I know I can do it, God. I'm going to do it. And we start off, and maybe with great hopes and desires, but trying to live the Christian life in our power is not going to last. It's not going to work. We walk in obedience to God's word by God's power at work in us. And then we also know the fourth point is walking by the Spirit includes asking for help. Asking for help. Listen, there are times where God wants to use us in one another's lives to bring about Christ-likeness, to bring about blamelessness. We confess our sins to God. We forsake our sin. We walk in obedience to the truth of God's word. And that's all by God's power in us. But there are times when the Spirit tells us, you need to go to a brother or sister in Christ and you need to share with them. You need to ask them for help. You need to share your struggle. You need to ask them for help. You need to ask them to pray with you. You need to ask them to pray for you. You need to ask them to hold you accountable. You need to ask them to help carry your burden because your burden is too much for you. Ask them to help carry that burden. You and I, we need accountability as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And so we are called at times to ask those who are close to us, our dear brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, we're to ask them, we're to get vulnerable and transparent and say, I need your help. I'm gaining victory, and and, and I've taken some positive steps, and the Lord's working in me, but I need your help. I need, if you wouldn't mind, I need you to come alongside of me and help champion blamelessness in my life. 
And I'd love it if you would just check in and ask some questions periodically to help make sure that, that I'm, I'm staying on straight and narrow. See, what Paul wanted Titus to understand is what God wants us to understand this morning. And it's, it's really quite simple. As followers of Jesus, we are witnesses for Jesus. When a Christ follower is arrogant, hot-tempered, or an excessive drinker, they are more likely to turn people away from Jesus rather than to Jesus. So Paul said, Titus, as you're looking, as you're praying, as you're observing, can't, can't be these things. These are negative qualities to avoid. See, we are disciples, we're followers, we're ministers, we're servants, and we are witnesses for Jesus. As Jesus told us, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on the lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they can see your good works, your good deeds, and so that they could give glory to God your Father in heaven. You see, God wants that light of Christ in us to shine through us so that wherever he sends us, we are able to point people to Jesus rather than turning them away from Jesus, so that we're able to love and encourage and bless our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus rather than living in conflict, discouragement, division with our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead in this time of response. And I want to encourage you to respond to the Lord as he is speaking to your heart, your mind. Those who are worshiping online with us, you can do this right there in the quietness of your own home, wherever you may be. Those here in person, obviously, I want to encourage you just to bow in prayer. Our prayer partners to come and stand here at the front. The altar is open as it always is for you to come and do business with the Father. This is our opportunity to respond. God's spoken to us. We have sung our praises to God at the start of the service. We declared his glory. We worshiped him in spirit and truth. We have now heard from the Holy Spirit of God through the teaching of his word. Literally, we've heard from God. He's spoken to us. He's got a purpose for his words to us this morning. And he is now speaking. And he now wants us to respond in obedience by faith in him. And so for some, that may mean come in and just ask him, prayer partners, to pray with you, pray for you. Maybe it's ask a brother, sister in Christ where you're seated. Would you just pray with me? Would you pray for me? Maybe God's calling you to go and encourage and bless a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe God's calling you to go and pray for one of your brothers or sisters. Maybe your husband, your spouse, the altar's open. Maybe he wants you to come and kneel and just pray a blessing over them. As God's speaking, respond in obedience to him. If you've yet to receive God's gift of salvation by his grace to your faith in Christ Jesus, then today's the day of salvation. You can make that decision, the greatest decision in life, once and for all, 
to get it settled with God, to admit to God, I know, God, I am a sinner. I know, God, my sin separates me from you. And God, though I know a lot about you, and God, though I, I, I go to church, I try to be a good person, I understand and realize that that's not good enough because the standard is perfection. It's absolute holiness, and I've missed that long ago. So God, right now, I want to make it clear in my own heart, in my own mind. I don't want to wrestle with this any longer, God. I surrender myself to you. I believe Jesus came to this earth. That is great love for me. I believe Jesus lived a perfect life. I believe he died on the cross in my place. I believe he was buried in the tomb, and I believe he rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death for me. And I know my only way to you, God, is through the sacrifice of your perfect son, Jesus Christ. And so, God, I trust in Jesus. I trust in his death, burial, and resurrection for my forgiveness, for my relationship with you. I surrender myself to you, God. I confess my sins. I turn from them. And God, I ask Jesus to come in to take over and take charge from this point forward. If you prayed a prayer similar to that, if you want to pray a prayer similar to that, then listen, based upon authority, the truth of God's word, that's a prayer that God hears, and that's a prayer that God answers. God saves. Prayer doesn't save anybody. There's never been a prayer that saves anybody. God saves. But God saves as we cry out to him in prayer, confessing our sin and receiving his gift of salvation by faith in Jesus. Today, be the day of salvation for you. We'll, we'll be standing here at the front. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. We'd love to celebrate with you. If you've made that decision this morning, we'd love to pray for you, pray with you. This is God's time. We're family. Let's stand and let's respond in obedience to him.